You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> How are you doing? Everybody doing all right? You know, sometimes in church, I'm just here worshiping, and, and um, I love worshiping, and um, I just forget I'm a pastor, and I just worship because I'm a Christian. You know what I mean? And uh, I love those moments when uh, Jesus has done so much in my life. I, I owe him so much. And I know a lot of you can say the same thing. So everybody have a good morning. It took Grace like two hours to shovel the snow this morning. I was waiting because I was hungry. I wanted breakfast. And she was out there. I'm like waiting. When is she going to be done? She eventually got it done. She should be quicker. I'm just thinking... oh my goodness Jesus thank you for your grace and your love would you just continue to have your way here thank you for saving me God oh my word Lord I owe you so much I'm so humbled Lord you're my everything now by your grace you've put me on this stage and I just ask for your Holy Spirit to fill me Anoint me, anoint this message. You know, every soul that's here, God, you brought them here through the snow, and and I pray that every soul has just this encounter with you, Lord. Mm. Would you make that your prayer and just say, God, I need you. God, speak to me. Thank you, Lord. we, we love you, Lord, and we worship you, and you are our provider. You are the giver of all good things, and we're here breathing because you put life in us, God, and you sustain us every day, and every good and perfect gift we have is from your hand, God, and we just give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the credit. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Whew. Just feel like God has a message, guys, today. Just feel good. Um, <clears throat> but I say, um, this is a really, really, really strong statement that Jesus makes when he's talking to these religious guys. Um, and today we're talking about lust. I, I keep wanting to say lust, and I don't know why. But um, <clears throat> anyway, we're talking about lust. And uh, I'm, uh, this is one of those subjects in the Bible that I, I believe needs to be talked about today. It, it's all around us. There's a big industry that, that is behind lust, that, that it makes a whole lot of money. But as I pre- pre- prayed about this message, and uh, you know, the, the, the place that the Lord took me first was, uh, was my, uh, my, my cell phone. I wanted to bring my cell phone out. Let me go get it. Hold on one second. Be right back. <clears throat> all right. Last night, I forgot my cell phone. So um, <clears throat> here's some statistics about social media. How many of you have like a social media account of any kind? Would you raise your hand really quickly? You have, uh, whether it's Facebook, Snapchat, whatever it might be. Uh, the average daily time spent on social media is 116 minutes a day. The average, close to two hours a day looking at your phone. I'm just 
think about them apples for a little bit, for those of us who say we're busy. Um, Two hours a day, for those of us who say we don't have any time to read the Bible. Two hours a day, for those of us who feel like we're always in a rush and we tell everyone how busy we are. It's, it's pretty humbling when you, when you look at it that way. Um, <clears throat> Facebook was launched on February 4, 2004 by Mark Zuckerberg. And that, that company that was launched really uh, launched, I mean, triggered a whole bunch of other social media uh, social media um, um, apps and, and accounts and that kind of thing. Here's some numbers you can look at. Um, you might use Facebook. Um, that's 2.2 billion users. There's Instagram, LinkedIn, for those of you who might use that for professional purposes. Uh, Pinterest. <coughs> How many men have Pinterest? I just want to know. Any men have Pinterest? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, Snapchat. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you love coming to church, it's so honest. <laughs> uh, Twitter, uh, what, what, I don't have Pinterest, I'm not saying it's okay, men can have Pinterest, so Toby, you raised your hand too, we got two, it's all right. Um, <laughs> Twitter, WhatsApp, we got YouTube, um, and uh, incidentally, Snapchat and Instagram are the most popular with ages 18 to 24, Snapchat and uh and Instagram. Um, images, look at these images. Facebook has more than 250 billion photos that have been uploaded, and it, it equates to about 350 million photos per day. And Instagram, over 600 million active monthly users, over 95 million photos and videos are shared each day. Snapchat, <clears throat> 186 million daily active users, and longest streak, for those of you who are Snapchat users, 629 consecutive days. Those are the, some of you are like, streaks? What's a streak? What's a, um, <clears throat> so, um, um, you know, you're, you're at line, and you're at Starbucks, or you're at home. You might be sitting down at a restaurant or something, and you bring out the phone, and, and then you just kind of do this. And some of you are really, really good at this, and you just... And you're just scrolling, and you're just going and going, and you stop... And then you scroll again, and you scroll, stop, like, scroll and scroll, stop, like, scroll and scroll. And it's just, how many images do you take in just by looking at your phone? You know, before this, you know, we were, we were bombarded with advertisements, and, and there was all kinds of studies of thousands of thousands of ads are bombarding us every, every day or every week. Now, it's impossible it's just about impossible to count how many images we look at now. Do they affect us? Do they affect us? Do the images we look at on our phone, does it impact us in any way? Does it affect our heart, our character, our relationship with God? <laughs> William Shakespeare said this, the eyes are the window to your soul. The eyes are the window to your soul. If you want to know who someone is, all you have to do is look at their eyes for a little bit. You can see sadness. You can see joy. You can see trouble. You can see anger. You can see hurt. <clears throat> you can see emptiness. The eyes are the windows to the soul. <clears throat> My kids always joke around with me about how I can look at someone's eyes and 
and tell a lot about them. So, so <clears throat> it's funny, when, when somebody stole my chocolate milk last year at our men's retreat, they were going to go to hell unless they repented. But I, I, I looked into their eyes and I interrogated them and I put my hands on their wrists, you know, you know, like meet the parents. I put their hands on their wrists and I was looking at them saying, you know, have you ever lied in your life? You know, they're like, have you ever, have you ever done that? Um, the longer you look at something or someone, the deeper it impacts your soul. One of the great strategies of the enemy is, is this idea that um, this is not going to hurt you. This is not going to impact you. Nobody, nobody's getting hurt by this. It's a great strategy of the enemy. And the enemy can, can do all kinds of stuff even within your own mind. And people around you may not even be aware of it, but you could be coming to conclusions within your own self. Sermon on the Mount, chapters uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Um, profound, profound chapters and it's been said that if you follow just Matthew 5, 6, and 7, um, you're doing pretty good. That's, that's a lot to swallow here. But chapter 5, verse 1 starts off with, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and what did he do? And he, <clears throat> his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Last week, we talked about the significance of Jesus sitting down. Moses sat down on Mount Sinai, and Jesus taught with authority. Now, the audience there, you, you have, you have a, a many Jews that are there, but you also have the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And again, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they were using the law of God to their advantage. They were twisting it, distorting it, and they were oppressing everyone else with it as well. They were carrying themselves as lofty, superior to others, and they were using the law of God, which is a good thing. The law is good. God's word is good. But they were twisting it so that they would look at, they would be looked upon as, as somewhat higher, more in authority, and they weren't able to live up to it themselves. And in fact, Jesus talking about this, when you look at, at these, these verses here, but I say comments, is evidence that they felt like they were doing pretty good. You know, like, do not murder. They felt like, you know, we haven't murdered yet kind of thing. But anger was in their heart, and Jesus went to the core of their heart. Uh, Do not commit adultery. This is out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. That's what we're talking about today. So they they haven't committed adultery, but no doubt when they were looking at those other Hebrew women, they were fantasizing and lusting within their own hearts. So when Jesus, he sees our hearts, he sees what we think, he knows our imaginations. When he's teaching, he, he, he calls them out and he says, yeah, you haven't committed adultery, but you have lust in your hearts. And here it is, verse 27. You've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And then here are the first three words of Jesus. Let's read it out loud, verse 26. But I say. Every time he said that, you know, that, there was a spiritual authority involved with that. Because he's saying, look, the commandment says this, but I say, but I say. This is like me being pulled over or something, and I'm driving over the speed limit, and the police officer says, Reuben, <clears throat> you know, you were driving over the speed limit, and I say something like, yeah, I know it says 55, but I say it's okay for me to go over the speed limit. Yeah. That, how do you think that would go over? Jesus says, but I say. 
And he's, 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 he's not necessarily raising the bar, but he's defining it. To you that everyone who, who what church, who looks at a woman with lust for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Turn to the person next to you. Just tell them, be careful what you look at. Can you do that? Be careful what you look at. It matters. It matters. Um, Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery. So what I'd like to do is unpack verse 28 just a little bit. Um, The word look, I did a little study on this, and it literally means this, you know, from the Greek to the, to the English language, means a constant stare with the purpose of lusting, and it's as opposed to a casual glance. So this is a little bit different from, let's say you're standing in line at Starbucks or something, and you see someone who is handsome or beautiful or whatever, and, and you look at them and you say, oh, they're handsome, they're beautiful, and then you order your drink and you move on. That's not, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about, like, like looking. You know, I'm not a woman. That's a profound statement. Um, but uh, it would be like, uh, it would be, well, ladies, maybe you've experienced this with your man where you're, you're with them and maybe you're at a restaurant and there's a beautiful woman that walks by your table and their eyes go, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're sitting there in front of them and you're watching them the whole time and they're like, you know what I mean? They're just doing that number. And, uh, and then you're waiting for them and they come back to you. you know, and, but they're like staring for a long time, like they're checking out. And you're like, are you done yet? Are we back together here? Um, <laughs> looking, this idea of staring, setting, setting your heart on, you're imagining, you're going to another place in your head. That's the kind of looking that Jesus is talking about. It's a constant stare with the purpose of lusting. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, just talking about looking and your eye. He said this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You ever seen pictures of people who, who their life before Christ and their life with Christ? Have you ever seen that contrast in pictures? If you look closely at these pictures and you look at a picture of someone who didn't have a relationship with Christ at all, their eyes look different than today when they're walking with Christ and they're in love with Christ and they're walking in step with his spirit. The eyes look completely different. The eyes the word lust in this, in, in, in here in Matthew uh, means this, to fix the desire upon, to have a strong desire to do or secure something, to desire greatly, to long for, to set one's heart upon. That's what it means. <clears throat> so in the Bible, there's good lust and bad lust. A lot of people don't know this, but if you looked up this word in the original Greek language, you find it in other places. Here's a, here's a good lust, Matthew chapter 13, verse 17. But truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Long to see this, this idea of this is good lust. This isn't, this is, this isn't a, a bad thing. 
And here's, here's a, an evil lust. This is our focus today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, Now these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. You know, the enemy, one of the strategies of the enemy, probably the, the enemy really has some simple, simple strategies that he just repeats over and over and over again. But what, what he does is he takes things that are, are meant for good and, and he distorts it. Like desire. Uh, that, you know, having a sexual desire is normal. That's, that's normal. God put that in us for the, for the purpose of union and, and marriage in Christ Jesus. That's, marriage is a God-ordained sacrament between a man and a woman. This is what God had put together early on. And he's, he's the founder of it. But he takes, the enemy will take that desire and, and, and will include this sinful nature within us. And that desire will all of a sudden go this way. It's like desires gone wild. And all of a sudden you desire things that are not pleasing to God. But it's the same desire, but now it's warped. Now it's impacted by the flesh. There's sin involved. So that desire, all of a sudden, the desire for, that we have for God, the desire that we have for, for, for that other person, all of a sudden the enemy will take that, and then it becomes lust. And it could overtake our, overtake our lives. Robert Kraft, God bless him, owner of the Patriots, made the news for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. This is a guy who is, is worth to be $6.6 billion, with a B, dollars. Has five Super Bowl rings. See, lust has the power to bring down anyone. I, I could easily put my picture, our picture, any, you know, and, and, and lust has the power to bring anyone down. I can tell you, pastors... Who've been impacted by lust. You know men, you know women who've been impacted by lust. I could tell you couples that are no longer together that started off with lust. And it's such a stealth sin because nobody sees it. Nobody sees it. And initially it might start with something like this. Nobody sees it. So no harm, no foul. It's innocent. It's in the privacy of my home or my car or wherever I'm at, and nobody sees it. And the lie from the devil is it will not impact you. It won't change you. And little by little, you start fantasizing, and you want more, and you want more, and you want more. And eventually, lust can take over your calendar. It can consume you. And all of a sudden, you start looking at the people that love you differently. All of a sudden, it affects your real life relationships. So pray for Robert Kraft, even you Bronco fans, pray for him. We all need prayer. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, for from within, and this is within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. Where do these things come from? Within. You see a, something, a pattern that Jesus has over and over. He talks about internal issues. He talks about our heart. He talks about our mind. He talks about our soul. Adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, and there it is, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from where, church? Come from? They are what defile you. So if you really want to go to another level in your walk with God, 
If you really want to know God's purpose for your life, if you really want to have a stronger marriage, stronger career, you really want to have a better home, whatever it is, you want to be a better man or better woman, start with letting God clean house within. Start with letting God have his way inside of you and and start looking at your heart more than anything else. Start looking at the things that you look at, care more about those things because Jesus says all of this stuff that can defile you or make you unclean or spiritually unclean or can, can destruct you come from within. Come from within. And you can look at anger, resentment, bitterness, whatever it is. Some people have the unique ability to, to carry a grudge. And they, walk all, they walk around carrying a grudge. That's, that's something within that can take over your heart, take over, take over your character. The single person lusts to be married, or the married person lusts. <laughs> Dallas Willard said this, Just as the thief is the person who would steal if circumstances were right, so the adulterer is the one who would have wrongful sex if the circumstances were right. If nobody knew about it, nobody would find out about it. Would you do it? Dallas Willard says, that's who we're talking about here. That's who it is. Let me say this. You will never be happy as long as you have lust in your eyes. You will never be happy. God wants you to appreciate what he has given you. God wants you to appreciate the circumstances you're in right now. God wants you to appreciate him and worship him. The enemy can't take away what God has given you, but he can devalue it so that you lust after it. James said it like this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away. What a metaphor. When he is carried away and enticed by his own lust or her own lust. Then when lust has conceived, isn't that interesting? It uses the word conceived. It's like it's something, it's alive. It's organic. When it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So you see the progression. The devil takes what God has designed for intimacy and devalues it, cheapens it, so that it's no longer a holy union, but a common transaction. A common transaction. T.D. Jake said, your lust for things will choke you. They'll choke you. What's the difference with love versus lust? What's the difference with love versus lust? Love gives. Lust takes. Lust focuses on self-gratification. Love focuses on others. And believe it or not, lust will run out. Lust will run out. Eventually, it will. Marriages and relationships that are built on lust don't last. Those that are built on love last. Are you a luster or a lover? Who are you? Who you are in the inside matters most to God. You can carry yourself any way you want and be a great image manager at work, at church, at school. You can be really good at managing your image and and, and you want people to look at you a certain way and think highly of you, and you want them to think that you're smart and articulate and all of those wonderful things, and you can become really good at managing your image, but inside, 
You can have lust, you can have anger, you can have pride, you can have arrogance, you can have greed, you can have all of these things. Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Here's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It was God's instructions to the Israelites. It's known as the Shema, the greatest commandment. Now, the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Those are the two greatest commandments. And this is the commandment that we all have before us. This is what God calls us to do. God wants you to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That's worship. God wants you to love him at that level. How do you live above lust? How do you do that? How do you live above the power of lust? Because this is something that just is that stealth sin that we don't talk about openly, but it's, it's everywhere. So here, you just, how do you do that? It reminds me of when my Grace's brother, Grace, yeah, Grace's brother, and he was probably about, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years old, and, and there was so much innocence in him. And and, and this is before the days of cell phone. You know, now with the days of cell phone, I feel like innocence is lost much earlier because everything, everything's accessible. There's no age restriction, right? If you have a cell phone, there's a whole world that you can access. And you, you, have, to, you have to be aware of that. And, and um, sometimes I think we, we, we put too much in the hands of someone. But so this was the days before that. So if I remember I was at Grace's house and we were dating and, and we were watching uh, something on TV or something like that. It was I don't know, maybe it was MTV in a, <coughs> MTV, remember MTV? Uh, anyway, so uh, we, we, there was a commercial, and in the commercial, and he was sitting down, his name's Mario, he's a, he's a, he's a social worker counselor in, in, in Arizona now. But anyway, he was sitting down right by me, and there was a commercial, and it was this really cool, like, Corvette kind of in the commercial that came up and just skidded in the commercial, and, and, and out, of, out of the car comes this woman with, with these long, beautiful legs, and her legs just kind of swing out of the car. And, and, and of course, the camera zooms in on the legs. And I'm sitting down, my, my future brother-in-law, uh, <laughs> and I'm quite a few older, years older than him, and I'm watching him. And I'm, I'm, it's one of those commercials that where you get uncomfortable. Have you ever been in that situation where you're sitting with someone and it's like, oh, my word, that's why nobody ever invites me to go to moves with them. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I, I, I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is really uncomfortable. And then Mario says, Wow, look at that car. That's what he says. And I was like, yeah, it's a cool car. It's <laughs> a cool car. But, but you, you know, like, and I, he, he just wasn't there yet. And I think, how do, you, how do you get there? How do you get to this place where you live above the power of lust because, because it's everywhere? One of the first things you got to do, do is this. Number one, know when to look away. Know when to look away. <clears throat> I like this picture because he's not looking at her. That's why I like this picture. You can recognize, oh, beautiful, but know when to look away. Um, the psalmist said it like this. This was his prayer. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. So let's just look at our phones here since I'm picking on the phone a little bit. It's your ability when you're scrolling and you see something, you can easily, it's so easy to go the wrong direction because all you have to do is move your thumb over maybe a sixteenth of an inch and press down. You don't even have to press down real hard anymore. It's just that easy. But knowing when to look away says, I see this, I recognize it, and I'm getting out of this. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. 
That takes, that takes spiritual discipline. Your ability to say that's a worthless thing. See, there's worthless things and there's things of great worth. And part of your spiritual growth is to be able to determine the difference. What's worthless and what is worth much? And to be able to recognize worthless things and saying it may look good right now on the outside, but if I go down this road, it's going to change me on the inside. Worthless things. Job said this. Job uh, was a man who, who was known for his integrity. In fact, so much so that God bragged to Satan about Job's integrity. Wow. And said, have you considered my servant Job? And God allowed Satan to torment Job. And in fact, Job lost his business, lost his family, lost his position, lost his prestige, lost everything. But in chapter 31, Job says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. I made a covenant with my eyes. It's a powerful prayer. Some of you, maybe that's your prayer today. I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. I'm going to make an agreement. I'm not going to set my eyes on any worthless thing. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. The devil will give you a fantasy that is not reality. And on the other side of that fantasy is destruction, slavery, and defeat. It's that point when you become a slave to the lust. You become a slave to it. Here's number two. Here's how to defeat it. Number two, play another thought. Some of you might not know what that is. That's a boom box. And it was a, you carry your cassette. I had one that had eight track and cassette. And anybody else have that? I was the bomb. <laughs> and then they went from here to the Walkman, right? Remember that? The Walkman, oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, play another thought. Your spiritual growth in Christ is dependent on your ability to manage your thoughts. There's no such thing as this is a harmless thought. Thoughts are either good or bad. You can have a self-destructive thought. You can have thoughts about suicide. You can have thoughts about self-destruction. You can have thoughts about anger. You can have thoughts about jealousy. You can have thoughts about whatever it is. You can have thoughts about lust. Paul said this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive. That's, that, that's control. We take captive. That's making it submissive. We take captive. That's apprehending every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's that ability, while you're, whether you're washing dishes or you're on a run or you're walking your dog or, or you're at the office or wherever you're at, and you're mindful of your random thoughts. You're mindful of your thoughts, and you can de determine that thought is not a, a worthy thought. For some of you today, God wants you to tear down images. If your lustful imaginations are dominating your mind, you can't enjoy the life that God has given you. The word imagination, interesting, this verse right here, take every thought in the old King James Version. It says, take, uh, take captive every imagination. That's what it says, every imaginations. The word imaginations is where we get the word image from. And we could be tormented by images. You can go to your phone and see an image, and that image can live in your head 
for days or weeks or months or even years. That image, you took a mental picture of that image and you could be tormented by that image where it pops into your head. You can be in church and sing an amazing grace and, and you can be struggling with this image within you and nobody, nobody knows. Your mind is the Garden of Eden. It's the place where you can meditate on God's word, but it's also a place where you can fantasize. It's this stealth sin that can destroy your life. You can be tormented by something in, that doesn't really exist. You can fantasize over something. You could, you, could, you could be handcuffed by it. But this morning, God wants to, you to incarcerate that image. He wants to release you from that stronghold. Christians are under a new pressure today because we live in an image-driven world that requires little imagination. So we have to be careful. I love the way F.B. Meyer, great Bible scholar, he wrote this article called The Rule of the Eye. The rule of the eye. And, and I love just the way he breaks down how do you manage a self-destructive thought? How do you manage a thought that is just not holy or right or pure? And he says this, the first step in the religious life is to detect right and wrong. Would you agree? <laughs> That's pretty important. Not in the act, but in the thought and intention. We're going deep today, church. If sin is arrested there, it is arrested in its earliest stage. When the inward senses are exercised and trained to discern good and evil, you've got to be able to discern good and evil. And when the soul not only discerns but resists, there is no fear of the life being mastered by the tempter. Listen to this. The snake is killed in the egg. Isn't that good? The snake is killed in the egg. The microbe is destroyed before it can breed. The enemy is defeated before he can become settled within the city walls. I love this phrase, the snake is defeated in the egg. It's this idea, this early thought, being able to recognize knowing right from wrong. Scripture teaches really, really clearly there's right and there's wrong. The minute you start thwarting that, you open up a whole new door. There's right and there's wrong. And F.B. Meyer says, you got to kill the snake in the egg. When you recognize that thought is in your head and it just enters at the earliest stage, it's much easier to defeat the snake in the egg than after it hatches and there's many snakes running around. Number three is this, read God's word every day. Read God's word every day. This right here is your wisdom. This right here is your strength. This right here is your joy. This is how you stay connected to Jesus Christ right here. Proverbs chapter 6 says this, My son or daughter, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions. Keep their words always in your heart and tie them around your neck. L listen to this. Look at the three stages of the day. When you walk, and we're talking about God's commands. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. 
I appreciate this verse right here because those are, we're different people throughout the day. I don't know about you, but my best, I would say, is mornings. Anybody else with me? I'm just best in the mornings. I write better in the mornings. I think better in the mornings. I'd rather have really difficult meetings in the morning. That's when I'm my best. But during the day, you know, there's a certain time of the day where my energy starts changing and I need to do something about it. At night, I can be a different person. At night, you can be a different person too. Did you have a hard day? Did you have any conflict during the day? Were you hurt during the day? Who you are at night matters to God. Proverbs chapter 7. We're not going to read that, but that's your homework, guys, to read Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7 is about a naive young man who goes down the street that he shouldn't go down. And it's an incredible picture of lust. It's an incredible, there's a lot of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 7. Everyone needs to read it. Last thing is this. This is perhaps the most important part. If you want to live a life above the power of lust, you got to do this. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Can we put that up there, Tyler? We need the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is such a strong verse then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And if you look at Galatians chapter 5, there's a laundry list of this is what happens when your flesh dominates your life, and there's sexual morality, there's all kinds of stuff in there. But this is what happens when the Holy Spirit dominates your life. Remember Jesus over and over during his time on the earth, he said, you need the Holy Spirit. I'm going because you need the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to live a life of obedience and faithfulness and holiness if you don't have the Holy Spirit. You need the power of God to live inside of you. You need the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. For some of you, the greatest prayer you can say this morning is, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can enter you and give you a new power. And verse 26 is so strong. It says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The Holy Spirit will give you new cravings. The Holy Spirit will give you new desires. The Holy Spirit will give you a desire for God's word that you never had before. And that that old temptation that you keep running into, the Holy Spirit can help you overcome that and dominate that so that it's no longer, it doesn't have a hold on you like it used to. Not like it used to. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what church? And that's what we're talking about. There is no law against these things. So if you want to know if someone is a Christian, if you want to know if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, that's all you have to do. Here's what you had to look at. Do they display in their life love? Do they love their enemies? Do they love? Is there joy? Is there peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That's how you know if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a just, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. This isn't a you know, I'm going to have this kind of image and I'm going to do my very best to, you know, not cuss and I'm going to do my very best to not look at 
you know, to not look at this. I'm going to do my very best to, you know, turn away. It's not like that. The Holy Spirit fills you and gives you the ability to live a life of holiness and righteousness before God. But you can't live a life with God with complete obedience unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then gives you, Holy Spirit, the, the Bible word is sanctifies, makes you holy, sets you apart, cleanses you. Now you may, let me just say this, because we live in a fallen world and our flesh still creeps up every once in a while. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Glory to God. If we confess our sins. So maybe you leave church here today and you say, okay, I'm going to do all those things Pastor Reuben said. I'm going to turn away. I'm going to play another thought. I'm going to read my Bible. I've invited the Holy Spirit to just take over my life. And then you, you fall. <clears throat> the enemy wants to keep you down. The enemy wants to, you to be discouraged. The enemy wants you to give up. Don't do that. Don't do that. God is greater than that. You turn to God and you say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, God. You're the love of my life and forgive me, God. God hears your prayers. You confess that sin before him. And scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us for our sins. Well, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ here, maybe you need to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my heart and be my, be my Savior. I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner in need of grace. And I believe with my heart. I believe with my heart that you rose from the grave. And you are the Son of God. You are the Christ. And today, I just want to walk with you. I want to start a new relationship with you. Others of you, maybe you have your internal battles that nobody's aware of. And you face these, you have these internal battles and whether you're in a crowd or you're by yourself, they're inside of you, in your head, in your heart. Would you maybe say this prayer? God, today I want to be set free from these internal battles. I want to be set free from lust. I know it's going to be a temptation, but I don't want to be dominated by it. I don't want to be a slave to it. So right now, I ask you to give me the ability, first of all, to turn away. Help me to identify worthless things. Give me the ability to play another thought. Give me discernment where I could recognize right from wrong according to your word, God, not according to my reasoning. Give me the ability to determine right from wrong, to play another thought, and put a craving in my heart to spend time in your word every day. And here's the big one. God, put your Holy Spirit inside of me. Only say it if you mean. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Give me a new power that I just haven't had until right now take away the cravings for evil things and instead give me cravings for things that please you, God. Change me, cleanse me, empower me to live a righteous life for you. 
Give me a new power to live even, to live even above my sinful nature, God. According to Galatians chapter 5. And I pray that everyone recognizes the fruits of your Holy Spirit living inside of me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.